Welcome to Please Bet on Football Games. Welcome to a solo episode of Please Bet on Football Games. I'm Joe, and today I'm your only host, because Alex is busy with work, and I have surgery in two hours, so things are going to be a little different this week. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at BMADFTS, the keeper of the real. And I'm sorry Alex isn't here because we put together consecutive winning weeks. Uh, we had one of those funky ones where we hit 40%, but we still profited because our best bet, which was Washington over Oakland on the money line, won. So we bet six units and we profited 0.31 units. Uh, I'll just run through the games real quick. We had Chicago plus eight, thought it would get up to plus 10, wouldn't have really mattered. We got really unlucky with some... Andy Dalton interceptions on this game. Uh, anytime the quarterback that you bet on throws four interceptions, you're probably not going to cover. But anytime that two or three of those interceptions are completely chance and not at all the quarterback's fault, you're definitely going to lose that bet. So, I mean, that's, that's a bummer, but what are you going to do? That's what happens when you bet on a game at Soldier Field in this weather, especially with, shall we say, a sloppy Bears team. I should have known better. The next one, San Francisco over Seattle, minus three. I looked up at halftime, and I thought this one was a lock, and I was actually worried about our Washington bet, which won. Uh, San Francisco was dominating, and then all of a sudden, they weren't. There was a lot of crazy turnover luck in this game going both ways, though. So, honestly, <laughs> I can't keep straight in my brain whether I feel cheated or whether I feel lucky to have been in this game. All I know is... Both of these teams are still subpar in the grand scheme. However, this year is so bad. <laughs> there are so few quality teams that they kind of come out to average, and it's tough to fade them despite the fact that your instinct would be correct to fade them most years. As I mentioned, Washington and Oakland, uh, Derek Carr is a problem for like a lot of reasons, uh, mostly just because he's not very good, but also because he's a giant pussy, he doesn't like pressure, and boy does he love checkdowns. It turns out that all the high-flying, throwing the ball deep off of his back foot while retreating from very mild pressure in the beginning of the year, that wasn't stable. And he's not capable of consistently providing you deep passing. Now, I'm not exactly thrilled with Washington because they only put up 15 points, and I don't think they've passed on third and short yet this year. Literally, they haven't passed on third and one, and they go for it every third and one with a inside run. It's, it's insane. As much as I have enjoyed betting on Washington for the last month or so and profiting greatly, I don't think that I will be continuing to do that. So let's move on to Kansas City-Denver. Couldn't have handicapped that game any better. It literally took no effort for Kansas City to put up a 10 spot. Uh, Patrick Mahomes played poorly again. I, we're at the point in the season where I've looked up and the dude's put together a full season of he's not a very good quarterback. And frankly, if you were on a team with any other coach, people would be talking about like benching him. He, he has been one of the very worst quarterbacks I've graded on the season. And granted, I only grade the good ones, but fuck. So to give you some context, I've graded three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I've graded nine of Patrick Mahomes' 12 games so far this year. And the only one that was above a C-plus was week one against Cleveland where he got a low B. Uh, 
He got a C- against Baltimore. He got a C-plus against the Chargers. He got an F against Buffalo. He got an F against Tennessee. He got an F against the Giants. He got a D against the Raiders. He got a C against Dallas, and he got a C- versus Denver this week. So it's it doesn't seem to matter a ton because his receivers actually had some pretty costly drops in this game, and one of those picks was not his fault at all. That said, the... They still scored enough to win, and frankly, if they don't have the drops, they score even more. So I think Patrick Mahomes has to be a C-minus quarterback to put up 21 points a game easily on any defense. Because Andy Reid's just that fucking good, Tyree Kill's just that fucking good, Travis Kelsey's just that fucking good, and low-key, I think Nicole Hardman and Byron Pringle are fucking pretty good. So we finished off the week with Buffalo over New England in just a fucking wind tunnel. I didn't know that it was going to be like that. I thought it would be very snowy and very cold, which I thought would slow the game down, but I didn't know it would be so windy. In fact, there wasn't really much precipitation of any kind. It was just so fucking windy. So I'll take the heat on that loss. I I bet it in real life I got Bills plus three, which really fucking stung. I got that in the first quarter after the big run by the Patriots, and boy do I wish that they would have made that fucking field goal. When they kicked the field goal, I was like, oh, sick, guaranteed cover. And then when he missed the field goal, I was like, why the fuck didn't you kick for the left fucking goalpost? Anyhow, like I said, .31 unit profit. It's nothing to sneeze at, but it's not enough to quit your day job. Luckily on my end, I made three units personally because I also bet on things like Steelers' money line and the Chargers. Uh, Alex did not like the Chargers. I'm not certain why, but... If he had been here, we would have pointed out that this is a fuck you pay me and an I fucked up game because we were both totally right about this game in both ways. The Chargers were inconsistent and tried to give the game away. Joe Burrow was terrible and fainted at the slightest sign of pressure. Justin Herbert transcended terrible play calling to score, but not nearly as much as he should have given his performance. All in all, these are two chaotic but fun young teams, neither of which deserves to be in the upper echelon of the NFL. However, nobody else does this year either, except for possibly the Buccaneers. And we'll see about the Rams if they ever pull their heads out of their asses. I don't know if they will. I've heard some stories about them starting Sony Michelle and thinking that that's going to change everything. I know a lot of you are Patriots fans, and you know goddamn well starting Sony Michelle never fixed anything ever except for too explosive of a run game. Sony Michelle would be a great four-minute drill running back because he will get you three to five yards every carry because his slow ass is not breaking away rams fans are like oh look what he did to the jaguars i'm like yeah who'd he do it to exactly all right that's about as much recap as i'm gonna give you i'm not gonna get into all the segments because i don't think anybody wants to hear me talk that much without a co-host to kind of mellow me out so let's just get to some games and see if we can pick apart some angles tonight thursday we have the Steelers and Vikings, and this is, where is it, pray tell? It is in Minnesota. Okay. One, we know that Kirk Cousins, for whatever fucking reason, and this sounds tinfoil haddish, this sounds like a fucking duct tape shoe, old head trend guy thing, but Kirk Cousins fucking isn't good in prime time. He's not good outside of the 1 p.m. afternoon slot on Sunday, but he's really not good in prime time. So just put that in the back of your brain. Uh... The handicap on the other quarterback would have been a lot easier if Big Ben didn't play his best game of the year against the Ravens, which is a low bar. It means he had one good quarter, but that's the best he's played this year. And frankly, if he does that again against the Vikings, this game could be extremely 
I don't want to say exciting, because these are bad football teams that also are conservative and kind of boring, but it could be competitive. So another weird development is that despite Mike Zimmer focusing on it, and despite putting together a roster at the beginning of the year that looks like it is well set up to stop the run, Mike Zimmer's defense can't fucking stop the run, and it seems like they might be missing Eric Kendricks again tonight. So the Steelers are probably just going to try to plow the ball with Najee. They are indoors, so if they want to throw, dude, they're going to be able to get Deontay Johnson or Chase Claypool over on Rashad Breeland, who has returned to being Rashad Breeland, and that would be a really nice advantage for them. Patrick Peterson is a serviceable corner at this point, I guess, but it doesn't really matter because the way you beat him nowadays is with longer routes and Big Ben can't throw them and their offensive line isn't particularly great at blocking them. This game is going to be, well, put it this way, I had to schedule my eye surgery on a Thursday and I chose this Thursday for a reason. It was not an accident. I won't be able to watch this game, so I don't want to bet on it because the anxiety would probably give me an aneurysm. But if I had to gun to my head, I think that I lean Steelers just because I think that they have more to play for, whereas I think the Vikings kind of just realize that their season's over. Like, when you lose to the Lions, especially in the fashion they did, and you're 5-7, and seven, and you're effectively slipping out of the playoff race, it's over. Your defense is hurt, you're missing Adam Thielen, so they're not going to be able to pass particularly well. And they're going to play Dalvin Cook. He says he's going to go, but he's got a separated shoulder, so it's not like he's going to be creating a ton of yards after contact. Also... How do you stop T.J. Watt when you have maybe two serviceable linemen? Like, I like Brian O'Neill enough. I think that he's a solid tackle. You know, he's a nice, tall, like, athletic. Like, he's not, I mean, the dude's not a wide receiver, but he's six foot seven and he's got a slender cut for an offensive tackle. So as right tackles go, he's fairly well positioned to stop T.J. Watt. But God forbid T.J. Watt line up over the left tackle, and all of a sudden, he's going against a guy whose name is apparently Ole Udo. That's just not... Listen, if I haven't heard of him, he's probably no fucking good. PFF doesn't think he's any fucking good either. I think they're in for a little bit of a, a rough time against TJ Watt. And, I mean, honestly, Highsmith has been pretty good on the other end. And then their front three is always great, even without two it. Cam Hayward is a beast. So... Yeah, I think Kirk Cousins is going to be eating a lot of turf. I don't think that he's going to have his... He likes those giant open windows, and Thielen's good at creating them. Justin Jefferson is going to be heavily relied upon. And while the Steelers' secondary is shit, I gotta figure that they're smart enough and talented enough to just throw Minka Fitzpatrick over the top, shadowing Jefferson, and put one of... I don't even care which corner it is. Just put one of your best corners on Justin Jefferson and throw Minka over the top. <sighs> This will be a quick game, as in they will be running the ball a lot, and the clock will turn. I mean, if you are into this sort of thing, this is like a typical underplay, in my opinion. But I'm not into that sort of thing, and here we pick sides. So, let's cruise on to the next game. Let's get to Sunday. Alright, we've got the Atlanta Falcons going to Carolina to take on the Panthers. The Panthers are favored by two and a half, and I think that's a mistake. First of all, the Panthers fired Joe Brady, which is a fucking dumbass move. I saw a meme that perfectly summed it up. It's the Eric Andre meme. Verbal meme. Verbal meme, guys. This is good podcasting. Eric Andre, if you don't know who that is, it's the light-skinned black dude with an afro who looks goofy and does pranks. Uh, he shoots the person in the chair. He says, like, who could have done this? Or something like that. Well, in this particular meme, it's the Panthers, and they're holding the gun. And they shoot the offense with, like, 
the offense is sitting in the chair. They shoot it up, and then they turn and say, why hasn't, why hasn't Joe Brady done anything? I'm not going to blame the dude for not producing a wildly successful offense in a tough division with a decently tough schedule featuring Sam Darnold, Cam Newton, and no Christian McCaffrey. I don't think it's getting any fucking better without him, and Cam Newton is still playing quarterback. Meanwhile, the Falcons are just so goddamn decent when it comes to being bad, beating bad teams. This is what they do. They're not good. <laughs> They're not well coached. They fuck up a lot. Like, if you've ever bet on a Falcons game and watched them play a decent team, it's just a very heart-wrenching experience because you're constantly thinking, like, can they just fucking block up one pass play properly? But they can't. In this game, I don't think it matters as much because I'm not high on the Panthers. I think they are bottom tier. However, I'm not supposed to bet on Atlanta even with Alex gone. So I'm going to put Atlanta plus 2.5 on my maybe sheet, and I'm going to move on. I mean, Atlanta's healthy. They've got the better quarterback. I mean, like, the benefit of Carolina's defense is that they have an awesome secondary, but what are they going to do? Stick Stephon Gilmore on, what's his name? Kyle Pitts. Okay. Kyle Pitts can still go up on him because he's still much bigger. And then, like, the rest of their deep, awesome cornerbacks don't matter because the Falcons have no wide receivers. So they're used to that. On the other hand, the Falcons really want to run the ball, and the Panthers are not very good at stopping the run, despite investing heavily in the defensive line. I don't know. It's a tough one, and I'm probably just going to have to pass this game. My instinct is that the wrong team is favored here. Uh, all right, well, let's see what else we got. <laughs> oh, no. Okay, the next game is Cleveland hosting Baltimore. Cleveland minus 2.5, and, and I hate to fucking do it to you, but I don't fucking care. you got to bet on the Cleveland Browns. They're coming off a bye. Everything out of Brown's camp seems to suggest that they haven't given up on the season, and they're like a couple of wins in the division, which are very doable. They can easily beat the Bengals again. They can easily beat the Steelers, and they can easily beat the Ravens. And if they do those three things, they're in the playoffs, unfortunately. Also, the Ravens, who have looked like shit, primarily because Lamar Jackson is shit, just lost their best player, Marlon Humphrey, star cornerback. He won't be playing, and as much as the Browns receivers suck, I think that they can beat Anthony Everett and some dudes that I don't know the names of. I think that, honestly, Baltimore's going to struggle just with getting calls in because they are so low on their depth chart in the secondary that I would not be surprised if they are legitimately confused about what plays are going. It probably means they'll be fairly vanilla. I just can't see how they stack up. The Browns are finally going to be getting healthier. And while they're missing Jack Conklin, their right tackle, they were missing him last time. We will see as far as the Browns' offense, but I don't think that it can be as bad as Lamar Jackson has been and will continue to be because he's bad. I am making the Cleveland Browns one of our actual pod picks. Cleveland, minus 2.5 at minus 110 odds. All right, moving on. We've got Washington and the Cowboys. Washington is at home, and they're also catching four. Now, that is tempting. Washington has looked great late. Washington also has a better quarterback. Yes, I think Taylor Heineke is a better quarterback than Dak Prescott. And I don't think that that's a very hot take. Dak Prescott, while surrounded by perfect players, is particularly average. Taylor Heineke, with a little bit of a rough shot offensive line at times and a very, very banged up and limited receiving core this year, has looked pretty decent. And sometimes bad. He's not consistent, particularly. He's a little bit more explosive than Dak, and I think that his median play is better, despite Dak having the highest floor of 
almost any quarterback. That said, the reason that we've been fading Dak so much lately is because when everything's not perfect around him, he's terrible. But everything is increasingly becoming perfect around him. You've got Randy Gregory coming back, so him and Demarcus Lawrence are now the new edges for the Cowboys. That's a good edge duo, even though I think Demarcus Lawrence is overrated, and even though I think Micah Parsons really needs to be playing defensive end, because he is a legitimately good to very good defensive end, and he is not great in coverage. So make him blitz all the time. Like He should never spend a snap doing anything but rushing the passer. Anyhow, Dallas's defense is going to be reinforced. Washington's offense is conservative and based upon running the ball. You don't want to do that against Dallas. They have great linebackers and a stout defensive line. And as much as Demarcus Lawrence is probably a touch overrated in my mind, Demarcus Lawrence is legitimately a good run stuffer. I know that PFF isn't particularly high on Leighton Vander Esch and Keanu Neal, but I think they can run down a running back, even Antonio Gibson, who is one of my very favorites. This is especially advantageous for the Dallas defense because without... Oh, God. Is it Logan Thomas? Yes. The tight end, who used to be a quarterback for Virginia Tech and then got drafted by the Cardinals because he's very large, he's a really good tight end now, Logan Thomas. And he's hurt. So they're going to be playing this guy, Bates, who is fine, but he is not special. And I think that those three linebackers can keep up with him. I also think that DeMonte Casey and J. Ron Curse can hang with him. So I, I think that they match up well in coverage. Now, Trevon Diggs is going to get toasted by McLaurin and Samuel, period. He's just not that fast, and they are very fast. And McLaurin will be an, ex- an especially tough matchup for him because McLaurin is great at the contested catch, and that's basically where Diggs makes his money, is he's really good at the catch point. He's got great hands. He should probably be a wide receiver, honestly, because he's not particularly fast. He's got great hands, and he's very strong. I figure like he could do a lot after the catch. I know he was a wide receiver when he went to Bama, but I'm getting off track here. I can't... I can't quite bet on the Redskins because I don't think that this game, if the if the Cowboys win, I don't think it'll be close. I think that the Redskins will get in the trap of running the ball far too often, getting behind, and chasing, and I don't think that their offensive line is built to, to chase. I don't think that their offensive scheme is built to chase. I think they run a really conservative, dink-and-dunk type offense. I think that they have a coach who can't get the needle out of his arm when it comes to halfback dive addiction. And let's look at the Cowboys' offense, because I'm pretty sure everybody's back. Tyron Smith, back. CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper, back. The running backs, to whatever extent that they want to play them, back. Their right tackle, Steele, back. Like, people forget, but the Cowboys probably still have a top three or five line. Like, Martin and Smith are, are studs, right? So right guard and left tackle are, like, probably... They're both top two or three guys at their position. And then Connor McGovern and Tyler Biotish are both, like, I think they're really good. I mean, PFF seems to agree to some extent, thinks that they're both good. I think they're both really good players at center and left guard. And then Steele at right tackle, not awesome. But Zeke is probably the best pass-blocking running back. On the other end, I don't have either of the defensive ends that are supposed to be the hallmark of this Redskins team. As much as I love Kendall Fuller, I don't know how they're going to cover the slot. So Michael Gallup and C.D. Lamb are just going to be open. Like So either they put Fuller in the slot, which they like to do, and then you've got the problem of Cooper and Lamb or Gallup running free, or you line him up on Cooper all game, and then you've got Lamb and Gallup running free. Because Danny Johnson, who is five foot nine, literally can't, he can't contend with them vertically. 
And William Jackson simply isn't that good at football, despite being fast and kind of having everything he needs to be solid at football. He's just, he's one of those guys where it never clicks. Now this all being said, if the Cowboys try to come out and run the ball, they're going to they're gonna struggle a lot because that defensive interior for the Redskins, I say it every week, is fucking fierce. And Jamin Davis, I like him as a run-stopping linebacker. He needs to learn how to cover, and that's what's really important. But, you know, if a team insists on playing with their left hand, you got to count the left hand, not the right one. In the end, I think you're going to get a lot of play action. You're going to catch the Redskins snapping up on defense, and I think that it's just... It's going to be too much. The Cowboys are going to be running all over the field. Frankly, as much as I'm low on them, I'm putting the Cowboys at minus four on the maybe list. I, you have to imagine that as long as Dak plays average, they can put up 28 points, and I don't think that the Redskins can put up 28 points on any defense, much less a healthy Dallas Cowboys defense, which matches up very well against them. All right, moving to the next game. We have Tennessee hosting Jacksonville. Tennessee minus eight and a half. The books already have that teaser protection slapped on this game, putting it just out of reach of a six-game teaser or a six-point teaser. And the Titans have no weapons. <laughs> you really gonna put me in a motherfucking Jaguars or pass position? Oh, I think you're gonna do it. I can't even make this a leg. I don't know if the Titans went out right. We've literally no receivers and no running back. Oh, boy. I don't know how the Titans... I, I love Robinson, their GM. I think he's probably the best in the NFL. I mean, I'm just going to list off some players he's drafted recently high. Uh, Christian Fulton, top 10 quarterback. Harold Landry, top 10... At the worst, top 15 edge rusher, but probably top 10. Jeffrey Simmons... Top 10 defensive tackle. Armani Hooker, top 15, top 20 safety. Kevin Byard, probably the best safety. He built an awesome defense, and then he just goes out and signs Danico Autry. And, I mean, Bud Dupree, who actually matches up pretty well with what they want to do on defense. I don't like that they let Adderay Jackson go, because Adderay Jackson's really fucking good. But they did get Elijah Molden, who's like basically the Honey Badger's clone. He's perfect little slot, free safety, hybrid type. But then on offense, he's just completely neglected wide receiver, and I know he drafted A.J. Brown, and he is awesome. He is much better than even I thought he would be. I thought he'd be solid. Shout out to my boy Alonzo, who knew that he would be awesome. I guess if Blind Squirrel finds a nut. But on the other end, they've got Des Fitzpatrick, rookie out of Louisville, who, he's one of those guys who in college was kind of known for his speed, but in the NFL, he's almost slow. He just doesn't really have the juice. And then Chester Rogers is going to be their slot. If you're a Falcons fan or bet on the Falcons a lot, you know that Chester Rogers is a special teams player. And then Jeff Swaim is their t starting tight end, which is honestly sad because I think that he is employed for being tall and generally looking like a tight end. I love Tannehill. Their offensive line has been really coming together lately, and the Jaguars are not going to interfere with that progression because they suck in the front seven. But the Jaguars' secondary isn't the worst in the league. I mean, it's it's surprisingly competent for a team this devoid of talent. And as much as I think that Tyson Campbell is super overhyped, or at least was in the draft, I think he can cover Dez Fitzpatrick or, oh god, uh, Nick Westbrook Ikhini. I know he went to Indiana. I remember that. Because I liked a few of their players better, like Wop Taylor. But that tells you everything you need to know. Like, the Titans are not an offense right now. And I, don't, I just don't know how they're going to hang. 
Sure, they probably beat the Jaguars, because how do you lose to the Jaguars? But I can't make it a leg, because the leg has to be fucking lockdown confidence. Alright, speaking of legs, let's move on to Kansas City. Minus 9.5, hosting the Raiders. Again, this game is tough. 9.5 is probably a it's prospective line, by which I mean the Chiefs have not been 10 points better than the Raiders at all. Like, they have not shown any reason to be 10 points favored over the Ra Raiders, other than if Patrick Mahomes could stop being a bottom 10, bottom 5 quarterback. Now, bottom 10. If Patrick Mahomes could stop being a bottom 10 quarterback in the NFL, this game could be a 40-point blowout. This is another defense that just has no idea on earth how they can begin to start to think about possibly one day in their wildest dreams covering Tyreek Hill. They don't have a single player on this entire defense who is not... Okay, nobody has a player who's as fast as Tyreek. This defense doesn't have anybody who's close to as fast as his shadow. Their fastest defensive player on the entire defense in nickel is probably going to be Nate Hobbs, the rookie out of Illinois. And he's like a high 4-4s guy. Yeah, so at his fraudulent pro day, because the COVID year, all of the pro days were lies. Like if you think Micah Parsons ran a 4-3 flat, I got a bridge for you. At his fraudulent pro day, he ran a 4-4-5. And that's the fastest dude on their defense by like a lot. Like Trevon Mooring fell in the draft because his 40 time was bad. Brandon Faison is terrible at cornerback. And Casey Hayward, while a good corner, even today at his advanced age, never had speed. So I don't know how the fuck you stop Tyreek Hill. He's going to do whatever the fuck he wants. And so is Byron Pringle, and especially Nicole Hardman. If they get him the ball with a little bit of room, he's going to go. Additionally, the Raiders just don't know how to play cover two. Like, it's not a thing that they're capable of doing. So Patrick Mahomes is going to have a couple deep shots. And as inconsistent as he is to all the easy areas, he needs to have a deep shot or two because that's how you win with an inconsistent but explosive quarterback. Denzel Perryman and Corey Littleton are bad linebackers, especially in coverage. They're both those type of dudes who are smart, they're not going to fuck up, but they're just not capable. They'll be fine against the run, but the Chiefs have uh, they've never run the ball too much under Andy Reid. No team has run the ball too much under Andy Reid. So I think that the Chiefs will score as many points as Mahomes lets them, basically. But the way he's been playing all fucking season, especially considering we're outdoors in subpar weather, It'll be 50 degrees, which is fine, but not ideal for a passing team. I could see this game being 21-10. I could see this game being 21-17. I could see this game being 45-10. I'm going to have to make the Chiefs an anchor and keep hunting for some pot picks. All right, next we have the New Orleans Saints, led by Mallet Finger Taysom Hill, minus five and a half, going to New Jersey to play the Jets. Fucking yuck. Zach Wilson's going to be terrible in this game. The Jets will not move the ball. It'll be sad. It'll be disgusting. There will be turnovers. I don't know if Taysom Hill can move the ball in this game because he can't throw, and he really can't throw when he hurts his thumb. And I don't know how much they intend to run him. I mean, they fucking should. Last Thursday, I was devastated because it's the one time in my entire life, in fact, this entire week, the theme of this week was Joe says, run the fucking ball, please. Because if the Saints would have just kept running the ball with Taysom Hill instead of letting them throw interceptions, I, I don't know if they win that game, but they certainly cover. My ass makes a unit. It was a depressing loss. And then, obviously, the Bills game, run the ball. Quarterback running is underutilized. And that is the last thing I thought I would ever be saying because I don't think that it's a particularly effective way to run your offense. Except when your quarterback can't throw or you're stuck in a fucking tornado. 
this is another game where the total, the under, might be nice. But I don't play them shits. I look for sides like a man. And while I lean Saints, simply because I don't think the Jets will be able to score at all, can't do it. Because their quarterback might not be able to throw. And Sean Payton has really disappointed me lately. Like this entire year, really, he has been not good. And similar to Patrick Mahomes, if you show me who you are for 10 games, it's who you fucking are. Sorry. Speaking of who you are, we've got the Seahawks going and visiting the Texans. Seahawks laying seven and a half. The Scythe. I wouldn't dare use the Seahawks as a teaser, would I? I would. Why? Because the Texans have given up completely. They're cutting star players like Zach Cunningham, and they're benching Tyrod mid-game, and frankly, Davis Mills is better, but not good enough. I think I'm going to have to use the Seahawks as a leg. Because while, while Russell Wilson's... Uh, Injury is just a massively overused crutch. He did look better against the 49ers than he has in a few weeks. Again, that's that's saying not very much. You can probably find a local high school quarterback who has looked similar or possibly even better than Russell Wilson has the last few weeks. But, alas, I think the Seahawks are good teaser value. Sorry, that pause right there was me swallowing my pride. Like, yeah, the Seahawks lost Jamal Adams. That That's good. <laughs> he makes them worse. And yeah, the Seahawks have been a dysfunctional offense, to say the least. But the Texans are a dysfunctional everything. I don't know if the Texans' water boy can consistently do his job without putting his foot in his mouth, which is difficult to do while handing out water. Yeah. Oh, I mean, a lot of people like to rag on Pete Carroll, and I'm not exactly, like, a huge fucking fan, but you know who's probably at least as bad as Pete Carroll, if not a little worse, is David Culley. David Culley is your third-grade gym teacher who stumbled and found his way onto an NFL sideline, and everybody seems convinced he's the coach somehow. Yeah, Seahawks are gonna be a leg. Hate to say it, but that's what it is. Alright, so that'll finish up the early slate, and I guess we can move on to the late slate, but not until after some commercials. Alright, we're back. You sick of hearing my fucking voice yet? I am. Alright, first, first late game is Detroit going to Denver, Denver minus 8.5. Denver coming off of that soul-crushing loss to Kansas City. Is Denver out of the playoff race? I mean, they gotta be, right? Nah, believe it or not, as disappointing as Denver has been, they're 6-6, six and six, which puts them squarely in the playoff hunt. So they're not giving up yet. And as much as Vic Fangio may be a questionable head coach, he, his team's not gonna lack for motivation. The Lions, on the other hand, are probably still hungover. Not from any substances, except for just the adrenaline and dopamine rushes that they got from that first win in amazing fashion, right after the Oxford shooting, so like, you know that they really cared. And if you saw any of those videos from them in the locker room afterwards, that win unloaded a metric ton of pressure and fear and frustration off of their shoulders. Additionally, I'd like to say that this is probably the best 1-10-1 football team of all time. Because the Lions totally should have like three or four wins due almost exclusively to savvy coaching and incredible hustle, which I didn't think I would say about a Dan Campbell team. The hustle part I knew, but he's been a pretty good coach. And I think if he can find an offensive coordinator to stick with him and not get hired away immediately, and obviously a quarterback, which is a very, very tall order for that franchise, I think the Lions have a future here. A better one than the fucking Bears, that's for goddamn sure. Anyhow... The Broncos come in with a solid offensive line, excellent wide receivers, and an excellent tight end. 
to go with their Frosted Flakes with water instead of milk quarterback Teddy Bridgewater. I say this because he's about average, but a little bit disappointing. Frosted Flakes, Frosted Flakes are an average cereal. They're solid, and sometimes you crave them, and they're really good. But if you put water in them instead of milk, it's like, fine. This is, I don't, this is not pleasant. I know that it fills me up and puts way too much sugar in my blood, which is what you want when you eat cereal, but, uh, you know? So, on the other end, you've got Jared Goff, who, uh, instead of water in your Frosted Flakes, he's like diarrhea in your kicks. Not shoes, but like the puffy, tasteless cereal that old people liked when I was young. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's not, it's rough. <laughs> the Broncos defense has been disappointing, but it's still solid, if not good, especially because it matches up much better with this particular, I mean, who doesn't match up better with this offense, but it does match up better with this offense. The wide receivers are not particularly good, and the Broncos corners can handle that. I, I've never seen a more disappointing unit as a whole in the Broncos' corners. Kyle Fuller went from being an elite cornerback to, like, a liability. Patrick Sertain has been actually exactly what I thought he would be, which is a great second cornerback and not much more. And then Ronald Darby has just serially underperformed for, like, a half a decade now to the point where even I'm giving up on him, and I was one of his biggest fans. Their pass rush doesn't exist, but their interior is good. This game is going to suck, and I've spent too much time on it already. Broncos minus 8.5 is a tall order. But I think it's definitely an anchor, and I lean maybe, actually. You know, it's in Denver. This is a dome team, and while it's Detroit, so they're used to playing outside, Jared Goff is probably still, still not used to playing outside, and actually, we have empirical evidence that he is terrible when it's even a little cold. So, again, Denver, lean? Maybe a pick? We're getting out of crunch time, and I don't have many picks, so eventually somebody's going to have to be a pick. All right, our next game is going to be the Chargers and the Giants at SoFi Stadium in Los Angeles, which is not where the Chargers should ever be, unless they're playing the Rams. Chargers minus 10, and this is because the Giants are probably going to start Jake Fromm. I'm going to look that up because it doesn't feel real, but if they start Jake Fromm, it makes this bet complicated. Jake Fromm is a lot like the oldest version of Alex Smith that you can remember in that He's going to take checkdowns, he will be fairly accurate, he is not a good quarterback, he will give you absolutely nothing more than is easy to get. However, the Chargers kind of force you to play one-dimensional football anyway. The Chargers do not, they do not let you get over the top on. You can't really go deep. But they will let you run, and they'll let you throw short. Jake Fromm can throw short, and the Giants will try to run. They're not particularly good at it, but they'll try this would be a problem for the Chargers. On the other hand, if Daniel Jones plays, one, his running abilities, which are like one of his best assets, they'll be greatly diminished, simply because he's got a neck injury and they don't want to exacerbate it. Additionally, the Giants' offensive line has been terrible outside of Andrew Thomas. Like, Nate Solder is, he was always skinny and weak, but now he's also slow. Billy Price is not a starting center, and for some reason, he is their starting center. Will Hernandez is proof positive that dominating in the run game at a small school against other small schools does not mean that you're an NFL guard. And Matt Skura is the same. <laughs> He's no better. So, if Daniel Jones plays, they're going to throw the ball a little bit deeper, and Daniel Jones will turn the ball over. Because that's kind of what he does. 
10 points is a lot, but the Chargers are squarely in the middle of a playoff run, or a playoff push, rather, and the Chargers are also starting to get their stride. It is certainly an anchor, and we may be very teaser-heavy this week, but it may be a play. All right. Finally, we get to a game that's fucking actionable. We've got all these anchors laying around, and that's lovely, because we can tie any of the money line with Tampa Bay minus three, hosting the Bills. Get that down a, a nice minus two and a half at about even odds if you throw them with Kansas City, Seattle, Denver, or the Chargers money line. That is a hell of a play. Don't take it minus three and a half. Too much fucky shit can happen, and frankly, the Buccaneers have been lucky with fucky shit when it comes to the spread lately. You know, the Leonard Fournette touchdown runner instead of a field goal to make a push two weeks ago, and this week, I don't know how they covered that Falcons game. Again, another game where there's a lot of shit going on, and I just kind of can't tell if I'm lucky anymore. Here's why I think we're in an especially good spot. So, the Bills just lost to the Patriots, right? And while you're thinking, they're motivated. And I agree with you, they're motivated in the wrong direction. If you've heard anything out of the Buffalo coaching staff, even offensive coordinator Brian Dable, but especially Sean McDermott, the head coach, all they're talking about this week is how they need to be more physical, they need to establish the run, and they need a more consistent offensive product, right? Rather than relying on Josh Allen's arm. Well, this is going to be a case of zigging and then zagging when you should have zagged and then zig. That's a confusing statement that sounds very silly. But basically... The Bills should have run the ball last week against the Patriots, and they tried, and they failed, but what they should have then done, instead of throwing lots and lots of difficult passes downfield against the wind, is they should have run Josh Allen. They never really did, and I still got my overprop on Josh Allen over 35 yards. I, it hit, and that's lovely, but if they would have run the ball more, they would have won money line, and that would have been more lucrative for me. So all in all, the Bills' takeaway from that game is, oh, we need to start running, but then they run into Tampa Bay, where it's going to be warm, and the Buccaneers are awesome at stopping the run and particularly concerned with stopping the run. Additionally, Tampa Bay is getting a lot of guys back in their secondary. Their secondary is starting to pick it up. Now, this doesn't mean that they can hang with Cole Beasley and Stephon Diggs, but it does mean that they will be at least solid, and Josh Allen is not. Additionally, the Buccaneers in the regular season, we've learned, love to play bend but don't break defense with blitzes. One, Josh Allen is susceptible to taking bad sacks. His pocket awareness is not good, despite the fact that his creativity and his physicality and his mobility are all off the charts awesome. He just does dumb fucking shit in the pocket, gets himself sacked or pressured when he should. Look no further than the third down play in the red zone, last drive of the game, where Josh Allen, instead of throwing the ball right up the fucking... what Stephon Dix is going on a slant, it's a deep zone coverage, if he just keeps locked in ignores the pressure like Big Ben, throws the slant, Stephon Diggs catches it, and at the very least gets a first down at the five-yard line, and he probably gets into the end zone, if you ask me. And they win that game. But instead, Josh Allen sees pressure, and then spins the wrong way, stops his spin halfway, and then comes out of his spin. At this point, Stephon Diggs is standing still. The play is over. He throws it away. And it's nice that he avoided the sack, but he still hurt his team there a lot. So the Buccaneers' pressure and exotic blitzes will get to him. Additionally, the Buccaneers in the secondary like to back up and give you your space. They stay as deep as the deepest, and they have corners with good ball skills. They do not jam the line to my chagrin. They do not play man-to-man -man that much. They match a lot, and they will play off-man, but they don't really go mano a mano like the Saints do, for instance. This means that quarterbacks like Mac Jones can dink and dunk for 18 pedestrian passes in a row and move the ball a little bit. And then 
completely fail in the red zone. Josh Allen is not that type of guy. If Josh Allen tries to dink and dunk, Josh Allen will fail because last week's A-plus performance aside, Josh Allen is not accurate to the short. Josh Allen needs to throw deep because he's explosive, kind of like what I talked about with Patrick Mahomes, where if you just try to like run a consistent, sustainable offense with Josh Allen, it won't work. You need to hit the big one. You need to play the you know, the big odd parlays with him because he's not going to hit 52% of his bets. You know what I'm saying? The Buccaneers will pick some of those off just the way the Colts did with a similar defensive idea. Not the same scheme. The Colts play a cover two zone and the Buccaneers will play probably a cover three. And they mix in a lot of cover two. Either way, the point is that they're getting the cornerbacks and their safeties deep and they are trying to ball hawk. Josh Allen loves those jump balls and he just misses a lot. I think the Buccaneers defense will particularly shut down the Bills offense and then on the other end it didn't matter last week but the Buc- the bills lost their best corner and one of the best cornerbacks in the league with no Tredavious white they are left to rely on levi wallace and dane jackson now i might not be as familiar with them as i should be but i don't think that they can cover mike evans or chris godwin or tyler johnson or scotty miller and while their safeties are awesome in micah hyde and jordan Poyer, and they totally had the right to walk out on that fucking asshole reporter i don't think it will matter because they're probably gonna have Poyer try and lock down gronk who has been playing amazing lately and that means that either one you're gonna get leonard fournette lined up one-on-one against tremaine edmonds who sucks dick and hey there's nothing wrong with sucking a little bit of dick if that's your thing but it's not his thing. He's just constantly fucking up, slipping, running to the wrong hole, and that's why he does gay shit. That actually, that joke worked out a lot better than I thought it was gonna. Now, Tremaine Edmonds literally cannot fill the proper hole on run fits. He is constantly running to the wrong gap. He is overrunning almost every play. He falls down all the time. If he gets a hand on him, he is toast, and he can't cover. Never has been able to cover. You put, you put Tremaine Edmonds in space, and he looks about as lost as most defensive ends. And frankly, I think he should be a defensive end. He is long and fast, but he is stupid and not quick and confused. In sp- He's got no coordination. Matt Milano does. Matt Milano's a legitimately good linebacker. But for some reason, they'll probably stick him on Gronk. They, pro- they like to keep him outside rather than inside because they're dumb. Which means that one of Gronk or Fournette will be open. Brady is in heaven, if that is the case. And again, the outside is going to be wide. They're going to be throwing screens to Jalen Darden. They're going to be getting the ball to Evans in the pot shot between the safety and the corner because he will cook the corner. Godwin will be running all over the middle of the field. Like it's The Buccaneers are hitting their stride. Brady is playing elite football again. And it's I've just laid out how the Buccaneers are going to dominate on both sides of the ball. That means they'll be able to overcome their inevitable special team screw-up or coaching gaffe or whatever the fuck bullshit Bruce Arians has stumbled into this week. And But honestly, they've been, they've been calling really good plays. Like, give credit to Byron Leftwich. I was his biggest critic last year, but they've been throwing the ball as much as anybody, to quote Tom Brady. They've been doing it fairly well. I actually like the past designs. So maybe they were running a lot last year to mask Brady's uncomfortability in the offense. And Leonard Fournette looks like a legitimate back. He... He learned how to catch somehow, and now he's, like, seeing holes and setting up blocks, and I just don't know how to understand. Maybe Leonard Fournette is always an elite running back when he wears the number seven, because he was good at LSU just based on pure physical talent. So maybe that's it. But either way, you're betting on the fucking Buccaneers. You're going to get them at minus two and a half. For the pod, we'll grade it at minus three, because that's just fair. But you are going to parlay them minus two and a half or even two with one of the Chargers, the Broncos, the Seahawks, or the Chiefs, and that'll work for you. 
Do those money line, by the way. It'll get you above even odds, I bet. All right, so we're moving on to the next game, which is a game I've struggled with the most. It's the final late game. You got the 49ers going to Cincinnati to play the Bengals, who are catching a point. Now, on one hand, who the fuck are the 49ers to be laying a point? On the road, no less. But on the other hand, the Bengals suck. I know PFF has Joe Burrow rated as their third best quarterback, but I don't think they watch football games. I know that's supposed to be their thing, but I can't believe that anybody is that incompetent as to be wildly impressed with Joe Burrow's performance this year. He's not a very good quarterback, and he loves to turn the ball over. He also can't handle pressure. And the 49ers, while very, very, very banged up on defense, they get pressure. Nick Bosa is turning out to be a good defensive end. He's better than Joey, and he's almost as good as he was supposed to be. Then in the middle, with Armstead and Jones, they're, like, legitimately good. DJ Jones can stuff the fucking run. He's a big boy. Six foot three thirty, and that's probably a lie. So, bye-bye Joe Mixon. And then, boy, do I love me some Eric Armstead. Always have. Especially now that they've got him playing his proper position at defensive tackle. And then... I don't know what it is, but the 49ers just churn out linebackers, man. Like, between Warner and Al Shair, they can both cover, and they can both blitz, and they can both chase down the run, and I really like what that stacks up as. Um, the issue is going to be the Bengals' wide receivers, who are very deep. Even if Jamar Chase is an average receiver, like he's a wide receiver too, I would love to have a wide receiver too as my third wide receiver. And then you've got Boyd as a great, not great, but a good slot, and you got T. Higgins as an awesome jump ball man on the other side. You're going to have Josh Norman covering one of these guys, which is really, a really sad... <laughs> doesn't Josh Norman have family that he can visit with? Like, doesn't anybody love him enough to say, like, hey, you can't do this anymore. You're bad. Apparently not, but I like Kawan Williams in the slot against Boyd. I think that's a good matchup for the 49ers. I think that's fine. I like Jimmy Ward and Jakowski Tart over the top for the 49ers, so I think they can help take away those deep shots, which is really the only way that Chase and Higgins make money. Like, they are fine with the short shit, but they make their money on busted coverages and deep shit. 49ers aren't particularly prone to giving that up. As for the kryptonite of the Bengals, it's it's always pressure. And while Nick Bosa's good I don't know how good he's going to be in this particular game because Jonah Williams, the left tackle, is great at handling technicians, and Nick Bosa is a technician. He's not. Williams, as we've said, he struggles with freakish athletic dudes. This is not that. On the other end, the Bengals are starting at right tackle Isaiah Prince, who's really not played much, um, so it's tough to say, but he's a big dude. Late round pick a couple years ago. I think Nick Bosa could have success against him, but... I'm not certain. Joey Bosa didn't have a ton of success before he got hurt, and they play similar styles. I mean, they're damn near twins. This is going to be a tough game, plain and simple. I lean to the 49ers, but I don't know how they're going to move the ball. The Bengals are one of the most overrated teams in the NFL, and the 49ers can really run the ball with the best of them. They can also throw the ball to Kittle, and he'll be wide the fuck open because the Bengals don't have any linebackers or safeties that are any fucking good anymore now that Logan Wilson's hurt. Von Bell is and Jesse Bates turned into a pumpkin. I don't think that the 49ers are going to be able to get the ball outside of their wide receivers at all because Chidobia Wuzier has become a solid corner, and Brandon Ayuk is the best receiver left on the 49ers, and he is a bad receiver. So I don't know how they're going to move the fucking ball. It's going to be really difficult and really frustrating to watch this game, so I probably won't. 
However, it's so actionable, and these teams are so mis-evaluated mis by the public that I feel like I have to make a pick. <sighs> I've got great defensive ends. Honestly, I've got a good defensive line in Cincy with great defensive ends and a great nose tackle, and then Larry Ogunjobi doing just enough to not get benched. But I've also got a really good offensive line for the 49ers with Will, you know, Trent Williams, the best tackle in the NFL. Lakin Tomlinson and Alex Mack are both very solid, heady interior linemen. And then Brunskill's not, not good, but he's not terrible. And Compton's a fine right tackle. I got the better quarterback in Cincy. I got the better coach in San Francisco. The defenses are goddamn near facsimile. But I got better skill players for Cincy. Unfortunately, it looks like I lean Cincy. We'll see if I play it, but for now it's a maybe. Alright, finally we come to Sunday Night Football. The team I used to root for before I completely forsake them forever, and I mean it this time, the Chicago Bears, going to Green Bay to play the Packers, who are minus 12.5. Justin Fields is starting. It's Packers or pass, and I think Packers has an edge. I'm leaning Packers because the Packers love ganging up on the Bears. They really do. It's probably because Green Bay is a shithole fucking town, and they've probably lost 80% of the free agents they've courted to Chicago. It's probably because... We send all of our high school-aged hooligans up to Wisconsin to drink and, you know, litter in the forests. But the Packers care about this game, and I don't know if the Bears care about any games right now. Their backup quarterback is playing. I know that he's not supposed to be the backup quarterback. I know people are going to look at Andy Dalton's box score from last week and be like, what the fuck? But you can all get fucked. You're wrong. And Dalton played fine. One of those picks was egregiously bad. One of those picks was a bad throw, but it was not a pickable ball. One of those picks went off of his receiver's hands, his tight end's hands. Uh, great, a good throw, actually. And one more is slipping off the top of my head. Doesn't matter. The Bears can't care. The Bears don't have the talent. The Packers do care. They're coming off a bye. They love fucking the Bears up. At the very least, it's a leg. And at the most, it's a play. It's like I'm not going to get further into it. The Bears just kind of suck. All right. Finally... One of my preseason favorite games to bet on that now I'm scared about. We have the L.A. Rams going to Arizona to face the Cardinals, who are laying two and a half. Pick his Rams money line. This is one last hurrah. Today, in this, on Monday night, we get to figure out if the Rams are going to do anything this year or if they just can't put it together. I don't want to overreact to them beating up on the Jaguars, but we expect a team as good as the Rams to beat up on the Jaguars in such a fashion. And frankly... The entire season, the Rams have been underperforming those expectations. Therefore, when they achieve the expectation, beating up on a bad team, it is encouraging. It also might just be the kind of confidence boost that that team needs to get off the schneid. Also, eventually, one of these ton, dozens of fumbles that Kyler Murray commits, one of them is going to bounce the wrong way, and he's not going to pick it up. I think he had another two fumbles against the Bears. All, all he does is fumble. <laughs> Additionally, he loves to just chuck the ball up to New Hopkins, and I don't think you can do that with Jalen Ramsey. Because while I don't like Jalen Ramsey, got good ball skills, nice and physical. Can't just chuck it up on him. You can't really run on the Rams as easy as the Cardinals have run on everybody else. And if there was ever a game for Von Miller to get right, it's against Kyler, because he will get one-on-one -on -one rushes against the quarterback. Like Kyler invites pressure. He's one of those guys like Wilson and Watson, where... The line can block it up pretty well, and he'll still get pressured because he just he'll roll into it or he'll try to pull some shit off. But if Von Miller can catch Kyler, 
or at least force him into a bad angle, that'll be a drive killer. The Cardinals blew up out the Bears last week, but it was kind of fraudulent. Came off a lot of short fields and turnovers and bullshit. I mean, they were obviously the better team, but they weren't as much better as a lot of people are going to think they looked just by looking at the box score. Rams money line. That is a pick. And I know what you guys are thinking. Joe, why do I listen to this show? It's literally just you picking the Rams and the Browns in perpetuity. I can't I can't help what the angle is. Like, you're going to give me shit because the Browns lost to the Ravens two weeks ago? You re- if you watch that game, you know that that was a fucking fraudulent bullshit final. And yeah, the Browns are prone to fraudulent bullshit finals. But the Ravens are fucking bad, man. And if you don't fade bad teams when you can, you shouldn't be doing this. So we've got two bets that we know we like. We've got Cleveland minus two, and we got LA money line. We got four that I think I like. Dallas minus four, Atlanta plus three, Cincinnati my or plus one, and Green Bay minus twelve and a half. I'm gonna take Cincinnati just because I think that they will be able to find ways to get the ball into their good receivers' hands over those bad corners, and I think that their protection will hold up. I think that they'll be able to stop the run if only because they sell out against it. No, they never fucking stop the run. I wish I had Alex here to calm me down and help me think. But motherfuckers got work. Like a bitch. God damn it, if I have to take the Steelers plus three on Thursday night, I'm gonna be so upset. Are the Vikings in the playoff hunt? Let's look. <sighs> the Vikings are kind of in the playoff hunt. But they have no players left, and Kirk Cousins sucks in prime time. No, you gotta go Pittsburgh. Okay. I'm going to add Pittsburgh to this fucking card. Going to run the ball all over him. Vikings won't be able to pass as well, if at all. Dalvin Cook is hurt. They're going to waste carries with him instead of giving him to Madison, who's a solid back. I'm taking, well... It's a lot easier for Atlanta to get over the fact that they just lost to the Super Bowl champions than it is for the Panthers to get over the fact that their quarterback is Cam Newton and they just fired their offensive coordinator. As much as I hate to do it, I think I have to go Falcons. Even though their offensive line is questionable and I like Carolina's defensive pressure, I trust the Falcons to be able to exploit a weak middle four in the linebackers and safeties. You can pass on Jeremy Chin. You can find a way to get Kyle Pitts off of Stephon Gilmore. No, you can't. Honestly, I don't know how to move the ball. This is why I don't want to bet on Atlanta. Alex would tell me no Atlanta. Dallas is going in minus four. Dallas is coming off a bad month. Dallas is finally healthy. Dallas matches up very well against the Redskins, who are a little bit overrated right now. You guys are currently listening to how the sausage gets made, and I'm sorry for that, but you are. Oh, I forgot we got Tampa. All right, we got four picks already. Do I go with Cincinnati? Do I fucking do it? Do I pull the goddamn trigger? Or do I go with Seattle? Let's do it. Seattle minus seven and a half. All right. That leaves us with our pod picks of Cleveland minus two and a half. Dallas minus four. Seattle minus seven and a half. See if you can get seven. I mean, obviously, wait it out because Seattle's a bet you don't put in before kickoff because if it goes up to eight, it doesn't fucking make a difference. But if it goes down to seven or even 6.5, you made a killing. So you have asymmetric risk. Just wait that one out until you can't, you know? Cleveland minus two and a half, Dallas minus four, Seattle minus seven and a half, Tampa minus three, but you're going to get it at minus two because you're going to parlay it with one of our anchors, and then Rams money line. All right, I think the best bet is going to have to be Tampa. That's going to conclude it. 
our week 14 episode of the Please Bet on Football Games podcast, a solo project done by Joe in preparation for surgery. You guys will have to let me know how the uh, Thursday night football game goes, because I will not be able to see anything, much less the game. But until then, I'll ask you to bet on football games, even if this week is kind of tricky and parlays are going to be how you have to get at it. And I'll ask you to get off my fucking ass about the Patriots, goddammit, the luckiest team in NFL history with their schedule and the weather. But you can ignore all of that as long as you bet on football games. Hasta.